Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder for Metsmerized. Uh, we have a very special guest with us on this episode uh, to discuss the uh, the ongoing and, and now absolutely boiling over hot stove, uh, Mike Petriello from MLB.com. Uh, you guys might know him uh, from, of course, his work on, on the website, um, the stat analysis that he brings, and, of course, his appearances on ESPN's StatCast broadcasts for their, uh, their baseball. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Um, very, very briefly, just because we've seen some uh, a number of conflict- conflicting reports this morning regarding uh, the Mets' pursuance of Trevor Bauer. And, of course, there's other teams involved, you have to assume. Um, there's a lot that comes along with that decision, but the numbers that we're seeing come out on Tuesday morning. Um, Bob Nightingale mentioned a record-setting annual average salary, uh, eclipsing Gary Cole's $36 million. I, you know. I think most of us are figuring he lands somewhere between that 30, 35 million area. But um, just, you know, for a player with his track record on the field, of course, yes, he had a really good season last year. But do you think he kind of just rode that wave into free agency or is this a pitcher that has kind of, you know, earned that lucrative deal? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think it's clear that if he were a free agent last year, we're not talking about him in these terms, you know, because he really wasn't very good for the Reds. Uh, But he had, you know, been very good for the Indians the year before. So it's not like it was totally out of nowhere. But it's funny. I was thinking about this. We do like the uh, every winter for MLB Network, we rank the top 10 in each position. And this year, I think I had him, I can't remember, fifth or sixth among starting pitchers. Whereas the year before, uh, I didn't even consider him in the top 10. And then you start thinking about, wow, like how how much emphasis am I putting on 11 really good starts against, you know, what was pretty lousy central hitting uh, in both leagues. But, you know, you dig into it and you start to look into like what's real and, and not real. And there's there's no doubt like he, he he didn't get there by accident this year. You know, like I don't think he's really a 173 pitcher, um, but you look at the way he's used his pitches and obviously he's been very open over the years. In the, in the sense of, you know, how he's trying to improve. And he, he has like he had, you know, a elite drop on his curveball and the other pitches all worked well. So is he riding the wave? Yes. Um, but it's also not like a guy who went out and hit 450 for two months where you're like, oh, that's totally a fluke. Like, I think he is legitimately one of the better starting pitchers in baseball. For sure. And I think that's a that's a point that can't be um, discounted um, is his dedication to his craft is certainly notable. Um, of course, he, his, his understanding of, I guess, the physics of pitching is very impressive. But uh, again, big picture here, uh, there's a lot to take in. So any sort of investment, I think, for Trevor Bauer is going to take a lot of, uh, a lot of mulling over. But uh, I agree, he's certainly a, a very talented pitcher. And in the Mets case, would, uh, would certainly make them a better team. Just that is an iffy, iffy investment. But the Mets have other holes to fill. Um, you spoke last week, great article detailing um, teams that Jackie Bradley Jr. would potentially be a fit for. Um, we've seen, you know, I guess tires being kicked around the league. Boston's in on them. Um, we've heard the San Francisco Giants uh, with a little bit of interest. But of course, the Mets, you know, after falling short on George Springer, it appears that the Mets would be a, or Jackie Bradley Jr. would be a perfect fit for the Mets. Um, would you go into what he brings to the table as a player because I know you made a couple of really really great points about more than just uh, his defense in center field but I guess the peripherals on his offense uh, his arm strength um, 
just really another uh, a deep dive into a player that I think most of the Mets fan base is intrigued by. Yeah, I think he's a little divisive in a lot of ways. And it, I guess that's true on both sides of the ball. Like if you look at his his defense now to me, just the eye test, right? I think he's fantastic. I think he's one of the elite defensive outfielders in, in baseball. And, you know, it's weird because like defensive runs saved thinks they think he's like, OK, they think he's fine. Whereas outs above average, the, the StatCast metric thinks he's absolutely fantastic. Now, I had a hand in developing that metric, so I'm not going to pretend I'm unbiased here because certainly I am. But uh, combining the eye test with that, it sure seems to me like he's a, an incredible defender. Um, you know, he's capable of, of hitting triple digits with his arm. Like, I think he's defensively going to help any team in baseball that doesn't already have like Byron Buxton or, or Kevin Kiermeyer. Offense is kind of funny because... You go back to 15 and 16, and he was like 20% above average each year. You know, you combine that, like in 2016, he had 26 homers and, you know, elite defense. Like, that's a superstar. And then he spent the next three years not being very good and being below average. And there's actually been somewhat of a running joke with one of our editors that every year I keep pitching Jackie Bradley's going to break out articles because the underlying metrics are so good and he hits the ball so hard. And this is finally going to be the year. And then in 2020, he was good. He was 20% above average. It was his best year since 2015. And I'm totally not buying it because all the underlying metrics went the other way. <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's like, what do I do with that? And I'm basically, I'm coming out of it with the idea that I think he's slightly below average as a hitter, like 5% below average, but that's for the league, you know, not for center fielders. And he's a fantastic defender. So, you know, I went through and I looked at the contending teams that could use him, like the Mets, sure. Uh, the Phillies, I think, could certainly use him. Uh, a couple other clubs, you know, you you know this better than I do, I'm sure. But you know, do the Mets need another left-handed outfielder? I'm not sure they do. Uh, I kind of feel like maybe I'm a little higher on Brandon Nimmo than most Mets fans seem to be. Like, I think he's he's not a good center fielder, certainly, but I don't think he's going to kill you. And I think he's a really good hitter. So I would think it's fine if you went with Nimmo in center field for another year, considering that, you know, uh, Lindor is going to upgrade the defense on the infield, certainly. But listen, if you can get Bradley and you can get Lindor, all of a sudden your defense goes from being pretty lousy to maybe pretty good. And that's a big deal. Oh, for sure. Uh, defense up the middle has been such an issue for this team in years past. And um, I do love the offensive aspect uh, Nimmo brings to the roster. I mean, it, since he's made his debut, he's been one of the I, I believe top 10 in, in baseball regard uh, as far as uh, weighted runs created plus um, just another dynamic he brings to the offense defensively. I do feel he brings more value in, in left field. Um, I, I really feel like Bradley's defense would be a fit. I do have concerns whether um, he could, I guess whether he can handle that everyday job. Um, you know, his splits aren't, I had them right here. <laughs> His splits are, aren't aren't extremely, um, I, I guess, stark. But uh, I, I guess personally, in a perfect world, I'd love to see a, a a right-handed platoon with him. I think Enrique Hernandez would have been a nice fit. Even a um, oh, tip of my tongue, even a Kevin Pillar, just for the defensive aspect, because the offensive, I guess, the offense that the Mets roster brings is just, yeah, it was elite, elite. Well, let's say top five last year, which is right up there. Uh, before you brought Lindor in. Um, I really have to imagine that defense is their priority. And really, Bradley just fits that bill to a T. Yeah, it'd be like Harrison Bader. You know, he's a right-handed hitter, and he's a very good defensive outfielder. And he's not a great hitter, but, you know, platoon him with uh, with Nemo or somebody. 
And it was funny. Cardinals fans are like, I will drive him to the airport. I will trade him for two slices of New York pizza. Like they could not wait to get him out of town. And I thought that was interesting because it's like the Cardinals offense is so bad. It's hard to carry a below average hitter. But on a really good hitting team like the Mets, if you can have an elite defender, maybe that works a little better. Yeah. Oh, I, I we do like Bader. I know uh, Pete Alonzo is familiar with uh, he calls him Bader tots, <laughs> which, which really it, it, we all enjoyed that. Um, familiar with his with him from his time at University of Florida. Uh, he's a New York kid. I, I think that, you know, if he is made available, uh, certainly a high ceiling as far as um, on both sides of the ball. But his defense is, is spectacular. Uh, yeah, I, I'd um, I'd be intrigued by a move like that. But, you know, the Mets certainly have a hole. And I think Bradley, um you know, fits that bill. Um, otherwise, you know, after missing out on, on Springer, after missing out on hand, you know, the Mets still have items on the docket. Um, they still have players on their, on their roster who don't necessarily have, have spots or positions. Um, just based on what the moves that the Mets have made this off season, if they do get shut out on, you know, their primary targets moving forward and have to kind of fill out their, their depth part of their roster with uh, with last minute additions. Do you think they've done enough to compete in the division? Oh, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Braves fans don't want to hear that. But uh, <laughs> I, I think part of the issue with that is that uh, a lot of fans do something that I never do, which is to look at last year's standings. Right. And the Mets were what were they tied for last or, or came in last or something like that. And that's not great. But also it's like, OK, but that version of the Mets did not have Francisco Lindor and they did not have Marcus Stroman and they did not have, you know, Jeff, uh, James McCann. Right. So um, obviously this is a, a much better team just having made the moves they made. And I also think they underperformed last year. I remember as the season was going on last year, that the big story, at least as I perceived it, was that um, the Mets offense, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but for like the first two months, which is almost the entire season, they were just absolutely dreadful with runners in scoring position, right? Like they'd get all these runners on and could not bring them home, which is not really predictive of anything. Like it's not a team-wide skill. And then in the last couple of weeks, it started to get better. So I really believe had you had a full season last year, then the Mets offense would have really like blown up. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been good enough. Maybe the, the pitching injuries were too much or whatever. But I would probably... I don't know if I'd pick the Mets or Braves right now. I, I think the Braves have certainly proven that we've underrated them for the last couple of years. I have a lot of concerns about their, uh, well, first of all, how are they going to replace Ozuna and left, right? But I have concerns about their rotation. Like, I like Soroka, but I think Braves fans are acting like coming back from that Achilles tear is no big deal. You know, I like Morton, but he's 38 years old. I like Ian Anderson, uh, but there's no way what he did last year is what he's going to be. Like, he's not the best pitcher in baseball, you know? Yeah. So I would probably go back and forth on the two of them. And if the Mets were to get Bauer or, you know, Bradley or somebody else like them, then yeah, I probably would pick them first. And for like the fourth year in a row, I'll probably regret it. <laughs> well, we're all very familiar with off season championships and, uh, and regular season uh, failures. I know I remember the 2002 Mets very well. And uh, I think that's the epitome of those situations, but you know, looking at the Mets roster, they have guys like J.D. Davis without a position. Dom Smith, who you had him on your top 10 left. Uh, everyone, by the way, check out Mike's top 10 lists. You could scroll through his Twitter feed or check out his uh, his page on MLB to, to get a look at those. But Dom Smith made your top 10 left fielders heading into 2021. Um, what was the decision-making process going into where he's going to fit whether it be on left in left field or at first base in uh, in those rankings. 
Well, so that's a question I got a lot. And I like that question because I was able to immediately pass the buck, <laughs> which is that, <laughs> which is that I don't, I don't make the decisions of who's available or who's eligible where, right? So the way the show works is they've got Brian Kenny makes his own list and myself and Sarah Langs and Vince Gennaro make our own lists. And then they've also got the shredder, which is this like, you know, projection system they've kind of home cooked there. And we all have to work off the same list. So it'd be weird if I had Dom Smith at first and they had Dom Smith and left or whatever. So um, there's an agreed upon like central list that you have to go off of. And, you know, with the uncertainty about the DH, obviously, and, you know, we taped all these almost a month ago at this point. Um, you, they didn't want to have two guys from the same team at the same position. And, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a DH. There very well might not be. So since Pete Alonso is clearly going to be the first baseman um then you know dom smith is in left field and if there's dh then maybe we'll look bad about that but that was really sort of the only decision that could be made there yeah and, it, and you know it, it's it's evident that um dom's breakout last season uh i think he finished with the sixth best weight, weighted runs created plus in baseball last season um it, it, i guess it afforded him a spot somewhere and uh you know at mets fans were very you know very excited to see him um, break out and even more excited to see him start popping up in 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 uh, preseason rankings and such but uh you're right without the dh i mean i should say with the dh it it just it makes this mets roster so much more dynamic than it already is and it you know it finds more at bats for guys like dom smith or jd davis or even you know going down the trough a bit um you know you can you can I want to say you can kind of look down and look at guys like um, Heredia, who's a, you know, a, a very, very fringe center fielder who had a nice little stretch when he made his appearances or a cup of coffee, I should say. But, um, you know, with the DH, it just kind of gives everyone more options. And with the versatility of the roster, it just feels like such a, uh, you know, this roster is kind of built for it. Um, we learned on Monday that the league did, in fact, offer the players union um the universal DH in addition to or, or tied together with an expanded postseason, which the players union uh, summerly summer summer. Nah, I can't speak today. They rejected the offer. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, you have to assume that these negotiations will continue. Um, I do see where the union's coming from, how they don't want two issues tied together. But in the long run, do you feel like the DH is a uh, is going to happen? It's just a matter of a process at this point. I do. Well, I mean, long term, yes. As for 2021, I don't know. I mean, I know I know what side I write for, but I, I have absolutely <laughs> no inside information on this. I'm sitting in a cold storage room in Brooklyn that I've turned into a home office here. So I'm I'm out of the loop uh, in terms of those negotiations. I think long term, it's absolutely clear there's going to be a DH. In 2021, I think it's almost been misstated as to like we don't know so much as it is. Uh, well, we do know that it, there won't be a DH because that's the rule unless they agree to change it. Right. It's not like it's an it's there's no answer right now. Last year's changes were a one year thing uh, until such time as they agree to change it. And I'm still I still think there's a decent chance that they will. But, you know, I think anybody who's been paying attention at all knows that agreement between the two sides has not really uh, gone so well over the last few years. So I think there's a reasonable expectation. Maybe you won't have it this year, but I have to imagine any time after that, you certainly will. Yeah, I think the um, the agreement between the league and the union uh, ahead of covid negotiations last summer, um, it kind of gave everyone an idea that, yeah, this is the future and this is kind of what everyone wants. And um you know, it's a negotiation process, of course. 
I do feel that with the support of the players and I guess the overall consensus of the game being that this is how it's going to be moving forward, you would hope that it would be implemented um, this season. And, and, you know, it leaves like, what is Nelson Cruz going to do? I mean, at this point, of course, a return to Minnesota is always a uh, an option and probably a viable one. But like, you know, any interest that he's been garnering all offseason, maybe from National League teams, just kind of waiting it out. It leaves these guys in a very tough spot. I agree with you on that, um, for sure. But I also think it's somewhat of a fallacy that if we have the DH, all of a sudden you have 15 new teams in the market for a DH because, you know, the Mets aren't going to go out and sign uh, Nelson Cruz. They're going to be like, oh, thank God, we've got somewhere to put our two first basemen. You know, yeah, right. teams teams at the bottom of the list, like, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Pirates, the Marlins, the Rockies, they are not going to go out and sign Nelson Cruz. You know, no. like, would, would the Reds just rather put Nick Castellanos there? And are the Cubs going to go make a move? So it's maybe opening up, like, three more teams for him. <laughs> you know, like, if yeah. the Braves could, yeah, that would be a, a decent spot, although maybe that's just where Ozuna would go. Um, you know, I'm just like trying to think real quick who else, you know, the Diamondbacks, maybe I just I don't think it's going to open up as many spots um, as as people think it might. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. Most teams, I think, are going to fill those holes internally. Um, they'll create a little bit more versatility, as, as the Mets would do in that situation. Um, and again, you know, everyone's, you know, cash strapped from last season. And um like you said, no one's going to go out and sign a DH. You know, maybe, like you said, maybe the bigger names might go out and find an available name that they can plug in. Um, the Dodgers, the Yankees, whatever the, the case may be. Well, not the Yankees. They're getting awfully close to that uh, luxury tax threshold. But, um, yeah, you have to wonder whether, I guess, whether things move along. You know, spring training's set to kick off in about three weeks. So uh, you have to assume that things will be continued uh, to be discussed. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly uh, it's something to think to think about. But um, Mike, you had a curious article on Tuesday morning come out on on MLB uh, regarding, I guess the short, the short nature of the 2020 regular season, along with the, I guess expanded postseason and and. I guess, kind of the players getting into their grooves or the ability for players to get into their grooves into the postseason last year. And you made a really good point on Jose Altuve, uh, who had just an atrocious run during the regular season, but really picked it up in in the uh, in the postseason with Houston. Would you care getting into that a little bit? Because we saw a few players, I guess, not really play up to their ability. Uh, Let's talk about J.D. Davis for a second who did not mirror his 2019 breakout in, you know, his on-base average was, you know, right up there still, but most of his numbers took a drop-off. You saw guys kind of come into their own during the postseason, as I was saying, as you were saying, I should say, with Altuve. Um, Do you think that's a, I mean, I should say that's a viable way to look at it. Would you mind going into, I guess, your viewpoint behind that, uh, that premise? Yeah, what I was thinking was that obviously, you know, 60 game season. So in a normal year, that is the end of the regular season, like Memorial Day, basically. Right. And that's yeah. that's not that much. So what I'd actually done earlier in the winter was I looked at the the guys who uh, the 10 guys who improved the most and the 10 guys who declined the most and just tried to look at each of them and see if I could see how real it was. You know, and some of those guys like Jose Iglesias. Right. It's like a oh, total fluke, not buying this at all. Uh, but also some of it's like, oh, maybe I do see something real here. And what I was thinking about in terms of like Altuve and Correa, 
and a couple others was that usually we ignore postseason stats entirely. And that's partially because after, you know, 700 plate appearances or whatever, the postseason stats are like a drop in the bucket. And maybe if, if you combine the two, the postseason is like 3% of their total. And since not everybody gets to play in the postseason and the pitchers are better and used differently, we usually just, you know, ignore it. And I was thinking, for this year, the regular season was a uh, 37% as long and the postseason was expanded, you know, for the, the players who were lucky enough to go deep into it. And I was thinking in terms of Altuve, well, wow, we're we're ignoring like 25% of his season if you combine the two. And for all the talk in the postseason about how his defense was lousy and it was, he made a lot of errors. He also mashed the ball. You know, he hit five homers. So what I did, and I'm not saying this is necessarily mathematically sound because the park adjustments in the postseason, I'm sure were screwy, but I wanted to keep it pinned to like a, a 100 being league average. Um, I combined everybody's postseason and regular season stats and I gave, you know, appropriate weight to, to how much playing time they had in both of those. So like Altuve had 78% of his plate appearances in the regular season, but Josh Naylor had 94% of his play, uh, plate appearances in the regular season. And what I came up with um, were, I think, like eight guys who had poor regular seasons. But if you combine their postseason stats, they ended up having above average 2020s. So like you mentioned, Altuve and Correa. Uh, Jock Peterson and Marcus Simeon are really interesting to me because they're free agents. Now, would you look at them differently if he said, oh, they, they're coming off good seasons? No, not not lousy seasons. Uh, you know, it goes the other way, too. Right. Like Will Smith and uh, Joey Wendell went to below average and some guys who were pretty good went to like really good, like Corey Seager uh, and Gloria Torres. So I, I just thought it was an interesting way to look at a, a very weird season. I'm not sure I would do this going forward, but I also hope we don't ever have another season like we just had. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, the slow starting aspect of hitting, um, it's real. You know, you look at guys like um, Eugenio Suarez, who's a notorious slow starter. Um, Or you can look over at Giancarlo Stanton, who, you know, once he finds his rhythm, he's one of the scariest hitters I've personally ever seen. But like, you know, once he had that extra time to kind of find his groove, we saw what he did in the postseason last year. What did he hit Four home runs in five games, five home uh, runs six, five, five consecutive games, and he had six dingers. There you go. I mean, you know, like you said, the shortened season, it affects players a different way. But I really enjoyed the kind of look into the, the I guess, the additional time to kind of find those, um, find their bearings and, and the effect that it had. I found, I found it really intriguing. But you have to wonder, that kind of goes for everybody, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly anybody who's trying to make evaluations based on this year has to has to look into, you know, how much of it was real, how much of it would have evened out. Like Jose Bray won the MVP, right? He was fantastic. I don't see meaningful changes that this is the new normal for him. I think he would have probably gone back to his usual, you know, just being pretty good. Yeah, you would have to think so. But uh, certainly curious to see how the rest of the offseason pans out. And I think we can all say in unison that we cannot wait for baseball to come back. Um, what's cooking on your end, Mike? You guys have a lot going on at uh, MLB. Well, you know, like everybody else trying to see when the season will start for sure <laughs> and what the season will look like. And, you know, if my kids will go back to school and, you know, all that stuff is going on too. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm very fortunate and grateful that um, we've made it through this with, you know, our health and, and, and jobs. And I know that's not true for everybody. So I'm trying to keep that in mind and hopefully the season gets going and we give everybody something fun to pay attention to. Oh, we are all hoping for it, but, uh, yeah, time will tell. 
Mike, can't thank you enough for coming on today. Everyone, check out Mike on Twitter. Um, we have you here. It's Mike underscore Petriello, P-E-T-R-I-E-L-L-O. Uh, of course, check out the whole team over at MLB.com. They're putting out great content over there. And uh, really, again, uh, uh, just extreme gratitude. Thank you so much, man. Of course, Tim. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Simply amazing. Let's go, Mets. Let's go.